Bible or some device you'll be looking at the Scripture with us this morning. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 12. We've been working through Luke now um, for most of the year. Um, and, and if you haven't been with us much or not for very long, um, we, we, this is kind of our MO is we pick a book and we just work our way through it um, chapter by chapter, however long that takes. And so we were in Ecclesiastes prior to this and are now working our way through the Gospel of Luke. A reminder that, that Luke is, is written right um, as a trying to lay out an orderly account of the life of Jesus from before his birth with the announcement of John the Baptist's birth, the announcement of Jesus' birth, through his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and then into the sequel, which is Acts, which is into the first generation or so of the church, that Luke is wanting to lay out simply an orderly account that we can see the breadth and depth of Jesus um, so that we can respond. Right? The question really Luke is asking that's for us to ask is, who is Jesus? Right? Like, who is he in reality? And so last week, um, as we ended chapter 11, we saw kind of an awkward table scene where Jesus is confronting um, the Pharisees, right? Over dinner, um, there's a conversation where he tells them, hey, you are whitewashed cups, right? Like, you have cleaned the outside of the cup, but inside the cup is filthy, and it's dirty, um, and there's hypocrisy, and you believe that you're the key um, to leading people to God, and yet if they follow you, you're actually leading them unto death. And so it was an ag- um, kind of an aggressive meal, and it ends um, in chapter 11 with verses um, 53 and 54, and it says this, and speaking of Jesus, He went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press Him hard and to provoke Him to speak about many things, lying in wait for Him to catch Him in something He might say. And so really what Luke is helping us see in this section of Scripture is that Jesus, has, who has set His face towards Jerusalem, He's headed there, and He knows what awaits Him, that He's helping us see the tension is building, that this is going to culminate um, in a trial, I mean a crucifixion, and that that didn't just come spur of the moment, that there is tension between the religious elite and, and rulers and leaders and Jesus, and it will have been building for a while. And so let's pick up in chapter 12, um, which is a transition, but it's definitely tied into the end of 11 as well. Verse 1, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. 
But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So remember, as, as Jesus has kind of set His face towards Jerusalem, He is preparing the disciples. Right? They're still wrestling with and struggling with the idea that He is going to be the suffering servant. Right? The, the suffering Messiah, that He's not coming in simply to conquer, to throw out Rome, and to set up a new government in this moment. That His kingdom is going to look different than they've anticipated. That They're hearing Jesus say this, but they're not grasping it. And so He is continuing to prepare them for His inevitable death, um, resurrection, and ascension. And so you can imagine the difficulty here, right? Like they're seeing Jesus confront the Pharisees, and then the crowds just keep coming, right? Verse 1 lets us know there are thousands of people crowding around wanting to hear from Jesus, like trampling one another, trying to get to Him. But Jesus is letting them know, don't be fooled by the crowds. My popularity is temporary. They're going to go away. Like this is, this is fleeting. And so don't think for a moment that it, when I've told you that I'm the suffering servant, that I'm the Messiah, right, in this regard, that the crowds are somehow going to overrule that and we're going to do what you thought I was going to do. The plan is still in place. The crowds will depart. The popularity is temporary. And then he continues. And so he's speaking to his disciples, but there's others around. The crowds are around listening. And he tells them, right after having this confrontation with the Pharisees, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he tells them what it is. It's hypocrisy. Right? And, and so we know that leaven and bread, yeast, um, is, is, although it's not invisible, right? it's something that you don't really you see or think about, and it, but it has a great reaction and, and affects the whole, something internal affecting the whole. And, and what he's telling them is, listen, the leaven, the thing that you might not really be able to see, but that's going to have a huge impact on the Pharisees, in which you are susceptible to as well, which is a warning not only to the disciples, but to us, as he's saying this, is hypocrisy. That there's something really not seen, but it's influencing and it's having an effect and it, and it can change the appearance. And so in this day and age, right, um, an actor would wear a mask and, and they were playing a part. They were presenting something that was not real. And what he's telling them is, listen, the Pharisees are playing a part. They are looking religious and elite, but they're missing me in this. They're not who you think they are. And we know that anyone in any sort of religious context, right, that hypocrisy is a risk. There is a danger in having a, a, a strong desire to please or impress people. And the Pharisees wanted to impress. They wanted to be seen for, as being something. And so he's warning his disciples, listen, when you want to please and when you want to gain approval and when you want to impress there is a, a risk and a danger here. You, I'm warning you, you'll be susceptible to this. So, a reminder, like that hypocrisy is not a Christian who sins. Right? Hypocrisy is when we use our religious words, behavior, 
reputation to cover up our sin. To not own our, our struggle, our weakness, our issues. It's when we're attempting to control the narrative of how people view us or think about us, their perception of us. And so we begin to hide who we are and present something that's not true. We begin to wear that mask. And ultimately, what we're saying in that regard is we don't trust grace. Listen, the, the beautiful thing about the cross is that we have already been outed, that we are rebels and sinners in desperate need of grace and of forgiveness and of hope in Jesus. The, the, right, Romans 5.8 is that God demonstrated His love for us at our worst, not our best. He already knows the depths of our sin, the things that no one else knows, our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our longings, right? The things that we would do if we thought we could get away with it, the things we've done and we have gotten away with it, right? He has seen it and knows it and says, I'm choosing you. I love you. I forgive you. My grace outruns your sin. And so hypocrisy is when we begin to believe that maybe grace isn't sufficient. And so now I need to perceive, make sure that I control how you think of me and how you see me. And so I'm not going to confess struggle or doubt or fear or sin. I want you to think only the best of me. And he's warning them, right, that this is dangerous. It's dangerous when we are trying to control the narrative rather than receiving and believing in grace. Willing to be known. Willing to be transparent. Willing to confess. And so he continues. And he tells them, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And then in verse 3, he says, Whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. What he's saying here is all those thoughts, desires, intentions, and actions, whether you believe they're hidden or not, they're not. They've been seen by God, and they will be public someday. They will be exposed. They will be. And so in this, right, there's, there's really one of two responses. If you're walking with Jesus, there's relief and there's justice in knowing that those who have put out, um, that, that have lied and manipulated and, and have, have done the wrong things to get in the places they were, that justice will come. It will be exposed. It will become public. And God will reverse and restore and make right. But if we are not trusting grace, if we're not walking with Jesus this morning, then this passage is absolutely terrifying. As we think of all the things we've said and thought and done, wanted to do, to know that it's going to be seen and exposed, should be terrifying to us. Right? Like that we're like, oh, I'm going to be seen for who I actually am. And he's telling them it's not hidden. It's not going to hide forever. The, the flip side of this, though, is also the positive things, the, the, the good things that you've done in secret and in quiet places will be revealed as well. Right? It's not just one or the other. It's, it's both. That God is telling the disciples, I see it all. I see it all. It will all be known. And so walk in the light. And if you're going, but, but, but do you know who He is? Yes, I do. And it will be exposed. Do you know who I am? I do. And it will be 
exposed. It will be revealed. And so he is giving them, right, kind of a, a warning and an encouragement here, depending on what side of, of your walk with the Lord you are. But there is hope here. There's hope that Jesus forgives. And so the thing is, is you could have a really dark past with things that have been done and said in hidden places, in public places. You can have that, and it has marred you and scarred you. And what Jesus says to you this morning is, it's forgiven. I've demonstrated my love. How? At the cross. What did I do? I died so that you wouldn't have to die. I suffered so you wouldn't have to suffer. I paid for it. That you could be justified and righteous. And I will take your sin and your shame and exchange it for righteousness. Like that is the hope we have in Jesus this morning. Is that when we have our life right heralded from on high, that Jesus says, He's He's mine. She's mine. They belong to me. And I have paid for it all. There's no more sin. There's no more shame. There's only grace and hope and belonging. And so we don't have to carry that shame, right? And that's why he's telling them, if you've understood grace, then you don't mind being outed because you've already been outed. You weren't perfect. You're not as holy or as good as you think you are. You've needed something from Jesus in the first place. So why would we now walk in a manner that says, I didn't? Because that is what hypocrisy is. And so he continues here. So he tells you in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Remember, there is tension between the religious elite and Jesus. He knows that it's going to continue to escalate, that it's going to culminate in the cross. He's already told the Pharisees in this generation, he says, listen, you have killed the prophets, right? Right? Um, that's what every generation has done. They've killed their prophets, and then they look back and go, well, we wouldn't have killed them, but we'll kill ours, right? They only, they only like a dead prophet. And so he's already told them, I know what you're going to do. It's, it's what you've been doing. You're going to kill prophets and apostles. And he is preparing the disciples here. Your life is going to be threatened. They're going to they're threaten to take you before courts and magistrates. They're going to threaten your lives. And you're going to have to make a decision. How you're going to respond in those moments. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. Right? He's telling them, listen, they can take your life. And, and it's, it's important for us to note that Jesus doesn't promise that there will be no bodily harm that comes. He doesn't tell them, hey, when they, when they threaten it, don't worry because I'm not going to let it happen. He's like, that's all they can do. The only threat they have against you is your life. That's it. And then he gives an encouragement here. But then there's nothing more they can do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after his, he has killed has authority to cast into hell. And he tells them, listen, there's something after death. And I'm the one. I'm the one that d dictates right where you go, where you land. And so you want to trust the one who has control not only in life, but in death and after death. And so he's saying, like, don't fear man who will threaten. If you're going to fear, you fear me. That I'm, you're secure and that there's eternity. Listen, it's this sort of passage and this sort of teaching 
right? That is why there have been martyrs. Why people would go and die, right? For, for the Word of God to go forth. For the Word of God to be printed, right? For the Word, um, for the Gospel to go forth in hard places where people say, if you come and tell my people about Jesus, I'll kill you. And people continue to go and do it because they're saying, all you can do is take my life. All. And Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He is sufficient and enough. It's why people go to hard places and do things that appear to shorten their life on this side of heaven. Why? Why? Because Jesus is saying, trust me post-death. Right? You can trust me in this life because there's something after this life and I'm the one that will be in control and guiding. Listen, this is the whole book of Acts. That after Jesus has been resurrected and ascends to heaven, right, and the church begins to go forth, that the, the disciples, right, face constant trials, tribulations, persecution. And yet the gospel continues to move. Listen to just one example. This is Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen. Now Stephen is preaching. I'm going to read just the end of his sermon. This is beginning in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered and who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he's telling them, right, Stephen is saying, hey, you did what Jesus said you would do. You've, you've persecuted, you've killed, and you've done these things. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Right? Like, you can imagine, like, just in, they're incensed. But he full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, right? and they rushed out to him. So they're saying, like, we don't want to see it, we don't want to hear it. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They killed him. Right? The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Right? Like that he preached the message and they killed him for it. Like we're seeing this lived out in the book of Acts, right? This sequel to what is happening in Luke. It's, it's happening. And so the call here that Jesus is telling His disciples, it's a call to trust. It's a call to trust Him in the midst of this world and the tension and the hostility that we have. It's a reminder that He cares for and sees you. Listen to how it continues. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered... Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. And so what is he telling them? What's he telling them? He's saying, God sees you, and he cares for you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. If he cares for sparrows that are worth pennies, I promise you he cares for you. He cares for you. 
Right? And so, He's letting them know, you can trust Me. You can depend upon Me. And the only one who should be feared is God. And then He shows us His character and says, you don't have to fear Me. My character is good. I care for, I see you. You can cast your anxieties upon Me. And so then, it continues. Verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges Me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And so He sets up this kind of like scene, this kind of trial scene. And He says, listen, they're going to drag you before the courts and the authorities. They're going to threaten your life. And in that moment, you're going to have the opportunity to either say, yes, Jesus, I don't fear death. I trust Him. And they may kill you. He's like, but you can trust that on the other side, I'm there with you and for you. You can trust me. You can cast your fears and your doubts and your anxieties upon me. He says, or you are going to be more worried about approval and affirmation of man, of society, of culture, and you're going in that moment to deny me and say, you don't know me. You're going to turn against me. And so he's warning them. This is happening. This is coming. I'm trying to prepare you for it. And because nothing is hidden, he's like, I'm going to know. And after death, there is judgment. There is something that it matters now how we live. He's assuming persecution. He's not promising a lack of bodily harm. But he's telling them, you can trust me and depend upon me. He says, the one in verse 9, who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this, verse 10, is kind of a strange verse. He's saying, listen, if you speak against me, there's forgiveness is possible. If you, if you blaspheme, you know, you speak um, profane things against the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be forgiven. So what, what's, what's he talking about here? Because remember, in this audience right now is Judas, who will betray Jesus. And there's Peter, who will deny him. Right? They're hearing this. And so what does it mean? Like, What does it mean that, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is, is not a singular moment. It is the totality of a life that denies what the Spirit is revealing to us about the plan of God. Right? In, in a moment, you might, you might have said, I don't love Jesus, or I don't care about those things, or, right? like, we, because we're all rebels, we've all been opposed to Him, and we've lived a life that has blasphemed Him even as a child because you didn't trust Him. Right? Like that is speaking against Jesus with our life. So speaking, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is never trusting in the grace of God, is never receiving forgiveness, is never seeing Jesus as who He has said Himself to be and who the Spirit is consistently revealing Jesus to be through His Word and through His church and through His presence. He's constantly going, look at Jesus. He is everything the Scriptures have promised Him to be. And we continue to harden our hearts and harden our hearts and harden our hearts. And then we die in unbelief. 
He says at that point, there is no more grace. There is only judgment. And that sin will not be forgiven. And so if you're asking yourself, have you committed the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's not a singular moment. It's not a thing that you might have done in regret. Um, if, you, if you are fearing that or doubting that or regretting that, that is a sign that your heart is still soft to the things of the Lord. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is dying in unbelief. Having not trusted what God has revealed to us. I want you to listen. This is Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And then go down to verse uh, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every, every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Right? He's telling us, if you hear the Word of God, if you hear the voice of God, if you hear the Spirit of God calling you to trust Him today, receive it. Because every time we say no, we are hardening our hearts to the things of God. Which can culminate in blaspheme, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means that we are dying in unbelief. He's saying, trust and come and receive today. Don't assume you have more time. Don't assume that eventually that you'll do that. Don't harden your heart to the things of God. Listen, He never leaves. And He never forsakes. Listen to how it continues. So He gives them this warning, and then in verse 11, when they bring you, not if, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. He's already telling them, I, I see you, I'm with you, I will not forsake you. Right? It's why we cling to the fact that He is Emmanuel, God with us. And He is guiding us and leading us and will not forsake us. That He will meet us in the moment. And just like in Israel, as they were going through um, the wilderness, being rescued from Egypt in Exodus, and God provided manna for them, and He says, you can have it today, but you can only take enough for today. Don't try to store it up. Why? Because I'm going to show you that I'll be there tomorrow, and I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to provide for you tomorrow, and then I'm going to do it the next day, and I'm going to do it the next day, and I'm going to do it the next day. He's telling them, you can't necessarily prepare and store up for these situations and circumstances in your life. You can't. But God will meet you in them and give you the grace you need because He will not leave you nor forsake you. Because He sees you and He cares for you. So church, in Luke 12, 1-12, He is calling us to trust Him reminding us that God sees us and cares for us, will give us grace in every moment and every circumstance. And so it means this morning, if you are facing um, betrayal in a relationship, whether at work or in a friendship or in family, whether you're facing 
a potential prognosis that terrifies you. Whether you are facing sickness and disease today, whether you're simply lonely or have fear or doubts, Jesus is telling you this morning, I see you. I have not left you. I'm not forsaking you. I care for you. Peter, who hears this teaching and then goes on to deny Jesus three times, but then is restored to right relationship with Him, will write later, right? Cast your anxieties upon God. Why? Because He cares about you. Peter would have had some anxieties because he had denied Jesus, who he said he would die for, right? Who he pulled a sword to defend, right? He, is, he has Jesus meet him in a moment. Church, this is why it matters that the resurrection occurred. That Jesus didn't just live the life we needed to and die a death for us. The resurrection matters because Jesus is hearing the cries of your heart this morning. The fears and the doubts and the anxieties. He sees them, He knows them, He cares them because He's alive to receive them and to meet us. So would we receive that from Him this morning that He will meet us with grace? And would we respond today, not hardening our heart, but receiving the grace that Jesus is pouring out? Listen, we will face difficulty. And at some point, we will face death. Right? And we will do that either with or without Jesus. With or without. With Him, we are covered by His kindness, His mercy, His grace, His righteousness. Without Him, everything will be made public. Everything will be made public. And we will be judged. This morning, would we hear and receive that none of us have been forgotten before God? And fear not, for we are more valued. Right? And we have seen that demonstrated in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we confess we have doubts and we have fears and we have anxieties. God, that often we wonder if You're near, if You see us, if You even care. Lord, would we be encouraged this morning that You do see us, that You do care about us, that You haven't left us and You haven't forsaken us. And so, Father, what we are facing, um, even the difficulty of this world, Lord, that You are restoring it and You are making it right and You are reversing the curse and You will meet us in those situations, including death with grace. Because we are secure in You. We have hope of eternity in You. And we know that in death, it's merely our, our faith becoming sight. Lord, would we rest in and trust You with the circumstances we're facing today and the circumstances that we don't even know that will come in the future? Lord, would You anchor this passage in the character that is revealed in You um, in our hearts? that it would linger and we would hold to it. Father, would You not allow us to harden our hearts this morning, but we would respond. 
In Jesus' name, amen.